Deezer Originals. This is Defending in Numbers. I'm guessing that everybody listening is about a stone heavier. And they're listening to Defending in Numbers, the football podcast, where we walk down the corridor of uncertainty, pretending to know a little bit more about football than we actually do. My name is Rob Armstrong, and I am a Christmas slash New Year moron. I take my footballing opinions from something your dad probably said when Harry Kane scored against Southampton. He's not as good as some bloke that we've never heard of from the 20s. That's my opinions, but it's not the opinion of Jake the Snake. Hot take Jake the Snake, Entwistle. Jake, how are you? Yeah, I'm very good. It's definitely not my opinion, I can assure you that, but (laughs) I am also a stone heavier, I think, although I've got a bit of a rumbly, rumbly stomach, I think. Too much food over the holidays. Well, I know the man who has the remedy for that. He is our, <laughs> our, our indigestion expert, <laughs> Ollie Young one. Miles. Young Ollie, Young Ollie, Young Young Miles. Ollie oh, Young Miles. How are you? I used to do that. Yeah, very well. How are you? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm all right. Jake, Jake's dying. I've really yeah, indigestion. What what fix have you got? for I'm him? also struggling. I think I've had one too many pigs in blankets, to be honest. But uh, it's it's Christmas, isn't it? Numbers numbers are the cure. Numbers are the cure. <laughs> That's I've what got, I've been waiting for. I feel fine, lads. Haven't had a carb since 1994, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Lies. Just, I just ate kale smoothies all Christmas. <laughs> Loved every second of it. Of course, this is Defending Numbers, and you can listen on Deezer, where you can also find lots of great podcasts, live Premier League commentary, and football playlists. So you can download the app, the Deezer app, right now, or you can go to www.deezer.com. Now, let's get on with the first segment Jake's Cure. Numbers. It's Week by Numbers. The Week by Numbers. Right then, let's settle some of those upset stomachs. Some turkeys <laughs> coming back to life. Some pigs in blankets that are waking up and thinking, why am I being burned alive by stomach acids? <laughs> With the number 56. And that is the number of goals scored by Harry Kane for club and country in 2017. Which is more than your Messi's. It's more than your Ronaldo's. It's more than your Lewandowski's. It's more than anyone in Europe's top five leagues. And he's played fewer games than all of them. So, how good... Is Harry Kane, is he only as good as your dad thinks, sitting there on Boxing Day after drinking a few ales and saying he's not as good as some bloke? I think he's the best number nine in the world. I'm going out there and I'm saying it. <laughs> We're doing it. That's me spitting imaginary <laughs> water across the room. It's happening. I mean, yesterday, so when he was scoring goals for fun against Southampton, on Twitter, it was literally like every second or third tweet on Twitter was a different record he's broken. And it's just mad, you know, he just keeps getting better and better. His all-round game is improving, I think, every year. But he's also scoring more and more goals year on year as well. Um, I mean, he's, he's, as you said, he's basically recording Ronaldo and Messi numbers now. So he's got to be um, considered as an elite striker, in my opinion. More than Ronaldo and Messi numbers, of course, a significant one is that he's beaten the Alan Shearer number. Yeah. Yeah. Beaten the record from Alan Shearer, which itself was impressive. And I know people are getting a bit antsy about the calendar year as a, as a record and as a way of measuring time but Spurs are really I mean, good it, in the calendar yeah, year as well yeah but, but it is a legitimate <laughs> amount yeah. of time like, if someone yeah, says yeah. alright name sort of five measurements of time you probably go second minute hour day year day yeah forget about week yeah, you, or you put a year in there <laughs> yeah, I would put, say you, a year, year is in my top three measurements of time exactly that's how people measure age so I think I understand <laughs> why the, 
yeah, it's not how you don't win anything over a year. You can't plus both together and that makes you 39 goals. But yeah, it's January to December. He scored 39 goals in the Premier League, which again, we, as we said, is no one's ever done that before. And he's beaten Alan Shearer's record now. And there's, as Ollie just said as well, there were so many other records that went along with it. The fact that he scored eight hat-tricks in all competitions. He's now got eight hat-tricks in the Premier League itself, which is as many as Thierry Henry managed in his career. Um, and another thing I liked about the hat-tricks that he was getting is the fact that in the Premier League in 2017, again, the year rather than the season, um, there have been 12 hat-tricks scored by Premier League players. He's got six of those. <laughs> so he's got as many hat-tricks as every other player in the Premier League has managed combined. So there's no doubt that he's just this phenomenal goal scorer. And I, th- I agree with Ollie saying that his all-round game has improved massively. Against Southampton, he was... There was a there was one pass to Son which I think led to a penalty claim. Yeah, uh, to a penalty claim. It was that was so good, and he's dribbling with the ball now. And the goal numbers, he's broken the monopoly. I think he's the first player since 2010 to be top of this calendar year category that isn't Messi or Ronaldo. Uh, and then 2009 was Jeco or David V. I think there's been some there's been mm. some um, mystery around that. But to to break that duopoly, even if it's not a real record, is but, it now a triopoly? Yes. No, probably Confident. not. Probably not. <laughs> the thing I like about him, though, it's like when whenever there's a record to be had, he doesn't think, oh, I'm just going to break that by one. He just smashes it. Like, mm. I remember last year, the Golden Boot Race, everyone thought Lukaku had wrapped it up. Two games left, he scored seven goals. He's like, no, nah, you're right, you can finish five behind me instead. Flat track bully. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that, that's the only thing, though. Uh, Sky Sports actually did a really interesting sort of breakdown of all these calendar year ones. And they, they did the number of the percentage of games that the players had scored in during that time. I think Harry Kane was 51%, which is still pretty good if your striker's scoring every other game. But Robin Van Persie, when he got 35 for Arsenal, was, I think it was 68% or near 70%. And and that's He's getting ones and twos rather than. Th- that's twos the thing is, we mentioned Harry Kane's hat tricks, and it's, as I said, he's got as many as every other player. But do you. Do Spurs almost wish that he was sharing that load a bit more rather than just in a period of two weeks just scoring 12 goals in two games and demolishing Southampton? As it turned out, they sort of needed those three goals because it was 5-2 with um, flimsy wrist Hugo Lloris in goal showing his weaknesses <laughs> again. But mm. I just think with Harry Kane, I'm I'm not saying stop scoring hat-tricks. I just think maybe they're... It doesn't get skewed, but... As Ollie just said, he won the Golden Boot because he scored seven in the last two games. Like mm. they absolutely hammered Leicester and Hull. It wasn't necessary. Do you want him to spread those seven out and make sure that each get more wins rather than just two massive wins? So basically, you're siding with everyone's dad. No, you never. Are. I believe you're in the calendar he's a year. <laughs> no, I'm saying he's very good. I just think Spurs would wish maybe still score the hat tricks, but make sure you're you're spreading it a bit like that Van Persie year. I think the impressive thing, like when you break it down by years, like we've been doing, is if you compare him to the Messi and Ronaldo figures over the past seven years when they've been sharing it between themselves, he's actually third for goals per game ratio, which is quite impressive, really. Ronaldo in 2013 got 1.16 goals per game. I think he got 69 in 59. Ooh. And then top nice. is Lads. Messi in 2012 when he got 91. Yeah, sixty-nine, which is one point three. That's when Barcelona were in God mode, though, yeah. wasn't it? That, I think there is probably something to say that, that like Spurs haven't even won a trophy <laughs> yeah. like, in any of this. Those are like Pele made-up numbers. Those yeah, Messi yeah. ones—they're absolutely absurd. But then Kane this year, fifty-six and fifty-two is one point zero seven. So mm. 
I mean, he's he hasn't scored as many goals as Ronaldo and Messi have in those years, but he's got a better rate than a lot of the years that they've managed. So I think if you look at it that way, I mean... It's even better. Yeah. yeah. But ask your dad and he'll say, he's no Dixie Dean. <laughs> Dixie Dean. He's yeah, bad at Dixie Dean. Well, actually, Dixie <laughs> Dean, speaking of Dixie Dean, will go up to the city of Liverpool, albeit the other club up there and we'll go for the number 43 which is the number of points Liverpool have lost from winning positions since Jurgen Klopp took charge who's to blame I think they look great on Boxing Day yeah but but Swansea are, are woeful Swansea are pretty much down yeah they're planning the actually Cardiff like they might be on the way up actually as well <laughs> don't they? So, yeah so they're not going to have that derby there's no there's no <laughs> positives to look at for Swansea no, sorry Swansea is. fans <laughs> I have no positives for you uh, but what we do have is the 43 points that yeah. Liverpool have thrown away. Was, uh, we talk about Liverpool a lot here and how good they are attacking, and that's what we saw, obviously, on Boxing Day. But the defensive problem, it's still a lingering. Yeah, it was, that, it was, the, it was the game before Boxing Day. The, the merriment of festive fixtures mean we haven't been able to talk about it. We can only have one podcast a week, so we've it's missed... merriment. <laughs> we, we missed that, we missed that, um, that Arsenal-Liverpool game, which was... Yeah which was hard to watch. 320 perfect seconds. Yeah, exactly. It was incredible. And it was that was where this sort of stat has come from. And again, we everyone was expecting them to beat Swansea. They they actually threw away it, or they lost to Swansea at home last season. So again, it throws into that. They shouldn't be ever losing those games. And it's, it's come down to whose fault is it? And it, it is that defence collectively. But the Simon Mignolet sort of anti yeah, what was he up anti to? agenda I think that's that's that come- Xhaka goal he, he's got yeah. Xhaka in his fantasy team he must do to let that <laughs> even, even the Ertzel one I know it's that outrageous. was a really good oh, finish where he kind of taps bounce. it into the ground or whatever he mm. does but <laughs> you see the he replay. was already diving there's so many there's so many slow motion replays of the Ertzel finish but you've just got Minilay flying down like Matrix slow motion yeah. in just the most mind blowing position yeah. what, what's he up to he if just it, hasn't learned he's always the same isn't he I mean but it's the same thing with Liverpool. I think there's that stat doing around that they've got the best defensive record at home in the Premier League. I think yeah. they've conceded three goals. Three goals, yeah. But I think away from home in the big games, like that Arsenal one, the Sevilla one, Tottenham even in October, they're still very susceptible against big teams away from home. And that's the issue that Klopp has to still address, I think. I think tightening up against small teams at Anfield, they've definitely done that recently. You know, they've only conceded seven goals in the last 10 Premier League games. Um, and three of those are against Arsenal. So they have yeah. tightened up in most games, but I still think when it matters in the big ones, you can definitely it's get just, at them and they're, they're still a bit short at the back. It's just that, it's like, because Milner brilliantly said after that Arsenal game that Liverpool need to become more boring. Yeah. Like, perfectly, it's like his PR agent like, being on the phone. They're like, <laughs> Milner, we need you to be relevant again. Become a meme. Self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy, wasn't it? Sort of. Um, but he is right in a sense because they, they'll go out gung-ho. They always win. They can win a game in the first 15 minutes. Against Swansea, like they were, they were missing chances, and again, that's they're scoring lots of goals, but they are missing quite a lot. It happened in Arsenal. Mane tried that overhead kick where he could have brought it down, chested it, kicked it up twice, and kicked it in. Salah, for all the goals he scored, he should have scored in that game as well. He was one on one. I think that's how it fell to Mane in the end. But they're missing these chances, um, and then they're just not defending. They've made so many def- since Klopp took charge. The forty defensive errors and twenty have led to a goal. So 50% every time they make every other mistake they make, they're conceding. And whether that's down to Mignolet, whether that's down to the centre-back partnership, um, that is a big problem. When they're playing these small teams now, they're dominating games, they're scoring goals for fun. And that's when Liverpool look good. But they need to, as Oli said, these big games, even if they can win the game in 15 minutes, 
you don't feel comfortable when they're two 0 up. No, Liverpool fans watching that game with the Liverpool fan, be it like they they they're silent because they know that they can't get excited yet because it's two 0 But as well, we that, saw, it's that wonderful cliche, isn't it? It's the hardest lead to have or something. Yeah. What, what is it? Two, or two it's nil, the yeah. easy, easiest school like to give away or something. It's probably <laughs> some them, correct loads. way of saying yeah. it. I don't know it. I'm the idiot. You're the geniuses. <laughs> I don't know that one. But it's like on FIFA, you're most susceptible to conceding after you've scored, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. That's what Martin Tyler always brings out. Yeah. That's, That's probably where I've got yeah. it from. That's probably where... <laughs> Not real football. I think one thing for Liverpool that is encouraging, though, is the performances of um, Gomez and Alexander-Arnold. Yes past couple of months those two look really really good I'd like to see Gomez play in the middle because that's where he started out at Charlton um, and got the move to Liverpool in the first place and they've sort of moulded him into a sort of versatile fullback type who can operate on both sides Alexander-Arnold call up didn't he? Yeah, Gomez he got did, man of yeah. the match as well, didn't yeah. he, against Germany so those two are really good I think if they just have like a big leader alongside them uh, they, they'll be able to flourish a bit more as well yeah. so, I definitely I, think you should start playing them both because yeah. at the moment he is using Gomez as the right back in the lead uh, Alexander Arnold played against Swansea because of the fixtures piling up but Gomez is being the right back in the league and Alexander Arnold in the Champions League which seems strange because Trent's the more attacking player his technique by the way is unreal I don't think he'll be a right back m- for much longer to be honest mm. he did that he used part, to be a winger didn't he yeah he, he takes back. a free kicks for Liverpool under 18 and mm. under 23s he scored, the he scored mo- one in the Champions League, yeah, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, in the qualifying. But he, he he played an incredible pass. to. We said Harry Kane's pass to Son was good. Alexander-Arnold, if you watch, go and watch that back, it was the commentary said Steven Gerrard-esque and you think, oh God. But watch it and it was absolute brilliant. So I'd love to see him getting more games. I'd love to see Joe Gomez start because probably he looks like he's their best their best defender at times. Yeah. So why not stick him in the middle? And they then you've need got a Van Dyke. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, apparently everyone needs a Van Dyke except yeah. Southampton, who kind of don't seem to play him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they're. I think they're resigned to. I think in January is when it will go. Yeah, it looks like he's off um, for a bargain seventy million or something. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on to the number fifty-one, and Man United. Oh, it's like the Moisey days are back. 51 crosses Man United attempted against Burnley, the joint most in a single Premier League match under Jose Mourinho. And harks back to that. Was it the Fulham game where they put yeah. in 83 or something? Yeah, 83, yeah. And every West Ham game where now we just get Masaku to run down the wing <laughs> and, and try and pass it in. Mm. Oh, just a quick shout out to Bobby Madeley. I hope you have a horrible New Year and you have a terrible <laughs> Christmas. Those were, yeah, that was. You did get robbed. But yeah, no, it, is, it was a bit like that. It's Against rough. Burnley, it was, you know, the lack of. I think, well, City never go two goals down, but if they did, I think they'd stick to their principles and try and play the same way and attempt to get back. United just panicked, put it out wide, whipped it into the box, hoping for something. And I mean, you've got to give them credit because they did come back eventually. Lingard, Messi Lingard came and saved them again. (laughs) But um, there was just no sort of clear pattern of play to what they were doing. It was very sort of hopeful and a bit desperate at times. Um, And I think that's the big difference between United and City. There's no sort of... When you look at City, you know how they play. You know they've got so much rotational movement up top. De Bruyne and Silva just pull the strings in midfield. United are very much reliant on Pogba to do something or a moment of magic from one of the top players. They don't really have that uh, sort of style in in the attacking third. I don't think yet, and that was evident yesterday. It's Burnley who defended very well, aside from that last minute where Lingard equalised. Uh, Man United dropping off now. I mean, I've, they've had a couple of dodgy results recently. Mm. They had the Leicester game and then Burnley yes, uh, on Boxing Day. Out of the League Cup. Out of the League Cup. Yeah. And Man, Man City, I, I think, basically, 
Yeah. Let's not worry about them. No. You know? So now it's now it's a second place title race, more or less, isn't it? Yeah. And it looked like Man United are almost a shoe in for that at the beginning of the season, but they look all over the place at the moment. Well, really. that's the thing is, um, everyone was aware of it when they did start the season that they had some quite nice fixtures and they were scoring a lot of their goals late when other teams were chasing the games and, and they did look good and they had that game plan of opening the score early and then just biding their time rope-a-doping to win 4-0 in the end. But now Mourinho getting a bit fussy about fixture lists during the festive period saying that they've been given the hardest time with them all but he's already used his good fixtures up and it, and it's mm. not like everyone's going to have that period in the season where you get a tough run of games Man United did very well to put all those teams away early on which was meant to give them a platform for when it became tough like this and they're still second they are dropping points and it's and as Ollie said, that identity and style of play or, or, or ideas on the pitch, at the moment it's give it to Ashley Young who's reinvented himself as left wing back and get him to cross it in. He he made 16 himself in that 51. I know he might take corners as well, but that, that, it just seems too one-dimensional and it's playing Lukaku and Ibrahimovic for the first time. That Ibrahimovic, didn't work at all. He went off at half-time. I think the Ibrahimovic thing is actually a, quite a big issue because... I mean, it didn't help him yesterday. He was playing as a number 10, but it just clearly didn't work for him. But him and Lukaku, I just don't think is a natural fit. You know, they're both... Lukaku seems a bit mentally frail as well this season, doesn't he? Well, really, think... He seems to be letting a two or three game drought yeah. really seems to affect him. Every time yeah. he scores afterwards, he does this sort of no celebration thing mm. as though he doesn't care, but we all know deep down. <laughs> definitely He's a big gooey inside. He really does care. <laughs> I think part of the problem for him though is when they bought him, they spent 75 million on him. They did that big reveal, you know, with the Adidas thing in LA or whatever it was, which was absurd. Which, which Pogba yeah. then got fined 300 quid for playing <laughs> too much <laughs> music at. So they were like, oh look, this is our big shiny new striker. He's our main man. And then a couple of months later, they were like, you know what? We're not 100% sure about you, so we're going to get Zlatan back. Mm. And I think just him coming back, Lukaku's sort of, you know, he looks doesn't look as natural as he did at the start of the season. The goals were flying mm. in for him when he first started. Now he's got that competition. Um, you know, it seems that his, his confidence has definitely been hit a little bit, I think. And he's struggling to cope with the pressure of, you know, competing with Zlatan and Rashford and Martial up front. Well, I, well, I think even Rashford and Martial now, but they all started so well. Like in those games, those were confidence building games and you had the opportunity to stat pad, etc., or whatever phrase you want to use. But Martial, again, looks... I feel so sorry for him. So, uh, the way Mourinho said, like, all the childish finishing in that... They were massive chances against Leicester and, and you have to criticise him from it. But the choice of words used and... And the way he's always sort of addressed these players, just the, the confidence just must drain out of them. You you mm. can be scoring a hat trick one week, and then the next week you just feel you feel like you're not doing your job again. And I just feel like it's complete opposite to what Pep Guardiola is doing at City with saying that Raheem Sterling. It gets a bit tedious. I think they're opposite ends of the spectrum. Guardiola says, "Oh yeah, he's the best player in the world in that position." Oh, I wouldn't get in the Man City team. Fernandinho is way better than me. Are there, the, are there no players that respond well to a bollocking anymore? Because mm. mm. <laughs> it seems to me that's... We, it's a very old-school thing, isn't it? I we talk about Guardiola saying, yeah. personally, right, let's take this into yeah. the real world, Go and you then. meet someone who gives too many compliments. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I find them disingenuous and insincere, yeah. and I don't trust them. <laughs> do, the, do players not feel no. that with Guardiola? That's like, what he's saying in public. We don't yeah. know what he's saying yeah, yeah, in yeah, private. Yeah. He could be like, Raheem Sterling's the best winger in the world, and then yeah. gets him in at training, he's like, you're not... Yeah, you know, we we don't know what is what actually goes on behind closed doors, but I just think, yeah, like bollocking people in public 
no manager really does that anymore. It's a really old school sort of tactic that has kind of left the modern game. But Mourinho, as we all know, is stubborn as an ox and he won't change ever. And that's just what he does. That's his, you know, his whole mantra has been like that and he's mm. been successful with it. So he'll just keep doing it and doing it. Um, but the problem is with this United side, there's so many young players that, you know, in, in his in his previous jobs, he always had a core of experienced players who a lot of them had worked with him before, Carvalho and, and people like that. At United, it's a very young squad. And if he doesn't get them on board, then, you know, he hasn't really got much left. So he needs to play it carefully, I think, in terms of when to dish out the criticism mm-hmm. and when to, you know, maybe rein it in a little bit. I just think as well, just quickly on that, is I remember watching an interview, sort of more a more in-depth interview with Jose Mourinho about him as a manager. And he said, sometimes my weakness is that if people don't respond to me in a way that I know other players should, I, I, I don't get why. Rather than, he's, he said, my weakness is adapting to each player's personality. There are, cer- there are definitely certain players and certain mindsets that Jose Mourinho likes and he can get the best out of. He, he can maximise players' ability if they fit this mould. He's finding it difficult now that maybe for the one time in his career he's got a majority of the people that he doesn't click well with. He's he's made Marcus Rashford look very good. Jesse Lingard has seemed to... One of his finishes was that where he took it around the keeper and hit the post. That was probably one of those childish finishes he was talking about. Lingard then comes off the bench and scores two. First time he's ever scored two in a Premier League game. So he's probably found now that, right, Lingard, yeah, he probably reacts well to it. But for the first time ever, it might be, oh, wait, I've got to change a lot rather than a little. And at a time where it becomes fixtures come fast and you're dropping a few points and it becomes more challenging that's when he has to adapt and at the moment just crossing the ball in wide and then saying everyone's bad <laughs> or or not or not performing or not creating chances he's got a he's got to take a bit of responsibility i think it's moisinho <laughs> exactly what he is moisinho <laughs> uh let's move to spain let's take it to sunny spain and the number is 210 and Arsenal fan Jake here has gone into some kind of fit remembering his experience of Bayern Munich earlier this year. But that's <laughs> every the, every year. Yeah, every year. Uh, but that's the aggregate scoreline of the last three Clasicos between Barcelona and Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. So that's three games in a row Barcelona have won away at Real Madrid, which is pretty... Mm. It's a huge knock for Real Madrid that they don't seem to be able to put away their biggest rival at home because every year it's a two hole, it's a two horse race and you need to win that one yeah. and they don't seem to have that home advantage mm-hmm. anymore and this this last one that's just gone what was it it was the 23rd when it's the Saturday yeah. uh, the 3-0 Messi's, Messi's doing it with one boot on <laughs> he, set up, he set up the final goal didn't yeah. he with one, with one yeah. boot on and Real Madrid down to 10 men and looked hopeless even before then, what what sort well, of guy had, there had an air kick, didn't he? Before yeah, before Barcelona scored the first. Uh, Real Madrid is it, is it just one of those things where they've they've all just lost form at the same time, or Barcelona have they just stumbled? Because Valverde is yeah basically had the what, what we thought at the beginning of the season was the worst Barcelona team in donkey's years, right? Yeah. We, mm. This was meant to be the end of their cycle. But yeah. in the league this year, and to be fair, the Champions League yeah. as well, they they look brilliant. I think the, the Real Madrid thing, there's a couple of factors down to it. I think Zidane's big strength in taking over that job is they gave all their big players confidence and he gave them the freedom to sort of ex- express themselves and 
you know, it worked perfectly the first two and a half years. But I think a similar thing at Bayern when Ancelotti went, the lack of like a clear structure and, um, you know, tactical sort of philosophy in place has may, maybe left a mark on the players who've got a bit um, sort of lax, a bit casual. Um, and, you know, the, they've been playing 4-4-2 quite a lot of Ronaldo and Benzema up top. It hasn't really worked as as well as he might have liked. Um, but also their squad is a lot weaker than it was last year. They got rid of Morata, who has been excellent at Chelsea, but it didn't replace him at all. He was their second top scorer last year, wasn't he? Yeah, he got yeah. loads of important goals to them. His goals per game ratio, goals yeah. per minutes, whatever, was was outstanding. I think he got 15 and 26 in La Liga. Yeah, and, and he, um, only Ronaldo, sort of, in terms of how valuable his goals were... Last season, only Cristiano Ronaldo's goals won Real Madrid more points. If like if you took Morata's goals away, they would be only worse off if you took Ronaldo's. I mean, yeah. that was all. They basically got rid of him, thinking that um, oh, his name's Asensio. Uh, they you think he got rid of him for Mbappe? Well, that was the rumor, wasn't it? That they were... That's the thing. They haven't made a huge yeah. signing since Rodriguez because it, three it years looked ago. like they were going to just sort of uh, Marco Asensio was going to be. I know it's a different. Yeah. player entirely but yeah. he was going to be the one to sort of step into the attacking mould and they were going to adjust the shape because mm. yeah, he's coming he's in gone and a bit scoring quiet. Yeah, yeah. They, they were playing him sort of off the left as a left midfielder in this 4-4-2 at times and he's done well I mean he's a young player so he's, he plays well one week and plays badly yeah. next week that's the nature of it but they've sort of invested in youth um, bringing in like Theo Hernandez and Llorente and people like that um, but the squad just isn't as strong as it was last year when they've when they've got players who, who aren't performing to their best, like Ronaldo and um, and Cruz at times. You know, they, they haven't got the players to come in and, and sort of do a job instead. So, yeah, there's definitely problems at Real Madrid and um, it'll be interesting to see how Zidane sort of remedies it because his first two years at Real Madrid have just been all winning everything in sight. Mm. This year, they're suddenly, they finished second in the Champions League group to Spurs, if we all oh. forgot, uh, and then got battered by Barcelona. So suddenly, you know, the question marks about him have started to... Yeah, yeah, come out of the woodwork a bit. The, that Barcelona team, Zidane has lost eleven games as Real Madrid manager and won eight trophies. So it's like, so so hard to. When people are talking about sacking him, you think surely not. But first manager to lose back to back home clasicos in the league. Really, um, that's the first time they've ever lost three in a row. I know he wasn't in charge for all of them, but mm. he was in charge for two of them. So. That is the sort of thing that puts you under massive pressure at Real Madrid, especially when Barcelona have got Thomas Vermaelen out of the woodwork. To like when Umtiti got injured, there, there's that crazy stat since he's joined Barcelona, their win percentage almost doubles. Or when he's in the team, mm. so when he got injured, they thought this is where Barcelona will struggle. Vermaelen's come in and in seven games they've conceded about two goals. So Valverde, he they're also playing four four two, which again yeah. is something different. They're waiting for Dembele to come back. Paulinho's proved everyone wrong. One of the top scoring midfielders. Never in, doubted him in Europe. No. <laughs> Always saw it. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's that sort of thing. So I think that piles more pressure under Zidane because despite losing Morata and Hammers, they bought these young players. As Oli said, uh, Jesus Vallejo coming back from loan was. Everyone thought he was going to slot in. Marcus Llorente, I don't think, has played. They bought Danny Ceballos, who was the yeah, golden played, golden he? ball winner at the Under-21 European Championships, which had Marcus Sensio in it. So everyone thought, right, despite moving on these these big players, Real Madrid's squad is going to be built and and now they can bring in young players to do that. Barcelona have bought in Nelson Semedo right back. Dembele, who hasn't played, was one of their most... That, that was their marquee signing. And... And no defenders, but yet they're. For Marlon's come back, is fit. 
and they're not con- they're not conceding goals. It's 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 really bizarre because the first half in that Clasico as well, I thought Kovacic, who was man marking Messi, did a really good job, mm. and then second half it just opened up and three 0 and the game was over. So. I think Ter Stegen's made that next step yeah. this year as yeah, well. He's really shout. he's gone from being an excellent keeper to one of the top five, I think, now this season. He's saved them so many points yeah. and, and goals. They've only conceded seven goals, which if you think of Barcelona, even at their peak, everyone always said, oh, defensively you can get at them. If, if you get the ball off them, that's the first thing. But attacking them, you know, they can be vulnerable. But I think this year that their last line of defence has been more solid than it has mm. been for a long he, time. He's played a similar role to De Gea at Man United. Mm. Um, De Gea's actually made the second most saves in the Premier League which I think is another problem that we about yeah. Mourinho uh, about the Man United stuff but to Stegen as well has made a lot of saves and a lot of really good saves um, so that it doesn't skew it because they've got a good goalie but that's not their fault but they're, they're winning games uh, thanks to their thanks to everyone on the pitch it's not Messi scored all the goals but Paulinho's getting those important ones their goalie mm. is playing well their <clears> defence <throat> is playing well so Barcelona looks set to win La Liga um, at, at a, a canter, a canter really, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it'll be if, if Real Madrid have got a game in hand, but it could open. It could be fourteen points. Yeah, and I know Real Madrid aren't second, but well, Serie A is pretty much the only league still yeah. with anything to play for at the top. Yeah. I mean, every every other league pretty much looks settled by Christmas. Yeah. Which... All right, this next number. If anyone follows Jake on Twitter, they'll know who's about to jizz his pants <laughs> in the studio because I'm going to go for number thirty-two, and that's the club goal scored by Kylian Mbappe in 2017, the most by a player under the age of 21 since. The original, the vintage, the fine vintage Ronaldo. Uh, he scored 38 for PSV in 1995. So that is a fairly decent list. I think Michael Owen, did Michael Owen score more than Mbappe as well? No. No, it's no. just Ronaldo, just Ronaldo. Yeah, so it's uh, Ronaldo, original, Mbappe, <laughs> Michael, Michael Owen. Owen. Yeah, and then um, Raul Aguero come into it as well. Not it's, a bad list. It's it's ridiculous. Uh, and Michael Owen and so the top three, which quite Michael nicely, Owen didn't play against farmers, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, gone there. The top three is the top three are, are the only ones that are sort of. And we've said under the age of twenty-one, but in terms of just be, Mbappe literally turned nineteen at the end of the year. Mm. So, in terms of looking at teenagers, only the three of those were actually teenagers. The other ones had turned twenty in the year. So, whether he's playing against farmers or not, ten, ten of those goals were <laughs> ten of those goals were in the Champions League. Yeah. Six were in the knockout stages. Only Ronaldo scored more than him in the Champions League Man this City year. Farmers. I think those goals he scored against Man City don't count. At the time, they were bad. with Benucci, Buffon, Chiellini. <laughs> yeah. I think that, like for him, what makes it more impressive? So I mean, he's got 32 goals and 16 assists in 52 games in this calendar year. Back to the calendar year yeah. stats again. But I think the impressive thing for him is to do it across two clubs um, at his age. He, you know, he's gone from Monaco, where he was basically becoming the centerpiece of their side traded that in to go to PSG to basically, you know, play alongside Neymar and Cavani. And he's just adapted seamlessly. He's gone from playing as a central striker in a 4-4-2 to a right wing in a 4-3-3 and it doesn't matter. You know, he's just carried on uh, developing and scoring goals and assisting goals. So when's, mean, it, when's it right to ask if he can do it on a cold Tuesday night? <laughs> <laughs> when they get in the Champions mm. League. Because he's only doing it on the elite platforms. He, he, he it is, again, for all you can say of Ligue 1 obviously isn't the best league. The fact that there's no other league unplayers on that list, he's obviously good. Like we've got Michael Owen in the Premier League, that is that is that 29 goals as a teenager is very impressive. I'm not taking that away. Then Raúl's next. Then Sergio Aguero is there when he was at Let's Go Madrid. If Ligue 1 was poor or producing poor players, 
they'd all be on there. Kingsley Coman would have been on there. Nicholas Anelka, when he was 12, playing for PSG, would have been on there. <laughs> Thierry Henry never did it for Monaco. Martial didn't do it for Monaco. Yeah. Mbappe has had the fortune of playing in those... In Monaco were very good last season. They, they, they had a very good bunch of players playing well at the same time. Bernardo Silva, Thomas Lamar, Mbappe, Falcao up front. That was a deadly attack. Now he's moved into another one. So yes, he's been fortunate in the teams he's played. But to score 32 goals when you only just turned... We'd only just turn. He scored one when he turned nineteen on his birthday. What an idiot! <laughs> so I think he, the mad thing about him is as well. He's he's apparently the seventh best player in the world at nineteen, yeah. which is absurd. This is his first season in football, and you look at what he's achieved. He won the league. He's he's broken about a million records. Seventh on the Ballon d'Or list. He is phenomenal, and he like he's very much like Ronaldo. He's so explosive and strong and skillful. Um, that I think, yeah, I mean, he could you could put him in any team and he'd start. I think he's that good, and that's and that's why I mentioned earlier about them selling Morata. That was uh, Florentino Perez did an interview uh, on the radio saying, "Oh yeah, Mbappe and Dembele are the ones everyone's interested in. I'd rather have Mbappe." Why did they miss out on him then? Because he wanted he yeah. wanted to go to Real Madrid, right? Because he's got the yeah. posters, posters in his room and everything. Yeah. It, again, it's it it's must bizarre. have been PSG must have. That deal, they haven't even paid the money. That's what's weird. Mm. Real Madrid surely They've avoided relegation, though, yeah. so they, they will pay it. That was yeah. the clause, wasn't that, it? It was like, we'll give you 180 million if we stay up. Yeah. And Monaco, I, like, I right, know. Well, that's, that's a done deal then. But Monaco could have said, <laughs> yeah. well, we'll take the money now from Real Madrid. Like, you yeah. would have thought Real Madrid would have put a better, a more upfront package to it. But yeah, it's just. I think January, what, Real Madrid will be going big. They've been linked with Icardi and, and people like that, haven't they? Because mm. as we were saying, they haven't really spent anything for the past three years. They spent, which. If you consider the way football's gone in those three years with transfer fees sort of rising you know, at a ridiculous rate, the fact that they've been very quiet in that time has been quite yeah. quite interesting. So I think they'll make a splash in January at the Harry earliest. Harry Kane, anyone? No. That would be the... Benzema for as You can see them looking at him. Though. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's similar to, to Benzema in the fact that he can link the play and stuff. Yeah. And, but he's, but mm. he's very similar to Ronaldo in the fact that he takes a lot of shots. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so those two Real Madrid's short numbers would that would be almost like a personal duel between, I think they could play <laughs> together but it'd be really interesting because Ronaldo would be like hold on this guy this guy's shooting as much as me wow but especially if you bail back into the mix he loves a shot now. as well yeah. don't yeah. Yeah, god yeah. that front three would be that'd be like 20 shots per game each I think. <laughs> zero passes yeah I think I think Mbappe, like seventh in the year for Mbappe just quickly like up there with the likes of Ronaldo and, and stuff in terms of the year, and it's based on it's not based on just pure ability overall, it's obviously voting every year. His year, he deserved to be that high, I think. Mm. He did everything. Those assists Oli mentioned, goals, he's, he's so quick. There was the, the one stat about his actual pace that we've got as well is he scored a last-minute winner against Lille and he peaked at 36 kilometres an hour, which was everyone was making the average speed with Usain Bolt. But the fastest in the Premier League this season is uh, Leroy Sane at 35.8. So everyone loves Leroy Sane and how quick he is. Oh, I don't know if they've clocked in on uh, Marco Arnautovic's first goal yesterday. <laughs> We're celebrating at Stoke. Yes, yeah, <laughs> speed. He probably he probably did beat it in the end. Then, but I just think for someone to be so almost so complete in an attacking set, he's not very good at defending. But as a winger, drop him then. He's gone from he's gone from playing on the left shoulder in a two up front, as Ollie said, to a right wing. I didn't think he'd even do it that seamlessly. Scored and assisted in the most games. He's breaking rec- so many records. Highest scoring Champions League teenager ever. 
It's, well, we need to stop him. We need it's, to stop him. <laughs> yeah. It is. It was a. It was. It was a brilliant year, and to be that close to Ronaldo or the f- the closest to Ronaldo, I think, is a massive credit. Whichever league you're playing in, and he'll definitely do it again next year. All right. While Jake cleans himself off, <laughs> let's move on to the next section. I'm embarrassed to ask. I'm embarrassed to ask. Okay. So as we mentioned earlier, Man City, forget the Premier League. It's done. City have, have ridden away. They're the best team by a mile. They're probably not going to lose. I don't even know if they're going to draw. Yeah, uh, <laughs> still got that one draw. Like that's how crazy it is Sorry. against, against Naf. I would Everton. Yeah. That, that was the one where there was, was there a flare or something. I just remember in the second half, you couldn't see most of the pitch for yeah. some reason. Yeah, Carl Walker, Walker off in the stands. Off, yeah. yeah, fuming. Oh, that was yeah, it was steam coming out of his ears. <laughs> uh, anyway, the Man City, they've got their incredibly rich owners, which obviously everyone will accredit the title to oh my god they spent all this money Benjamin Mendy that 50 million quid that's been spent well free yeah. games yeah. Uh, social media <laughs> manager he is exactly 50 million pounds social media intern <laughs> uh, but with all that money they've also they've got little stations around the world haven't they because they've got New York City FC right yep. I'm, yeah. I'm looking around yeah, for yeah. sort yeah. of looks of confirmation <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, they have Melbourne City Melbourne City and then don't they have a y- Yokohama so Melbourne and New York are their proper sister clubs so they wear they wear sky blue and they are pretty much Australia's Man City or the estate's Man City and then there's also the one in Spain where they're all there yeah Yeah. that has about 6,000 population or something who beat Real Madrid a couple months ago and had the kid Mafio who man marked Messi and everyone was laughing about it because he literally didn't leave his side (laughs) the whole game and now is there another Belgian one as well so what's happening is is Man City just going to have a team in every league well it looks that way I mean like big clubs have had feeder clubs for a while and United and Arsenal had uh, links to Belgian clubs in the 90s so it's not an entirely new thing but the way that City are doing it is in that they are they're essentially making a global franchise uh, across the world so They've got six clubs. They either own outright or part own six clubs in four continents now. Belgium will be the seventh. I think it's Oostend in Belgium. Top Is it going to be Oostend yeah, City? Yeah, well, it maybe, probably yeah. will change to be, yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, basically, they're, it's quite interesting what they're doing. They, they're, they're essentially trying to impart this philosophy or, or style that they've cultivated under Guardiola across the world at their other clubs in the hope that, you know, that they'll get these players coming through the ranks who can either go and be sold for for profit or eventually end up at City. So if someone's playing well at um, at New York City, he might get a loan to Girona and then get a loan to Man City and then join them permanently uh, along the line. So it's quite interesting what they're doing. Um, and it'll be, I mean, I'm sure that other clubs will start picking up on it and trying to, trying to reenact it because it is... Is very uh, sort of commercial, commercially driven, obviously, and it's you know, it's sort of the way modern football is going. But other clubs are definitely going to latch onto it, I think, yeah. because it is working. I mean, the Girona example. I mean, City's whole thing is that the the reserve league in the Premier League isn't isn't competitive, and players development stall. So why not just send them to a La Liga club where they'll play against Messi and Ronaldo, like you were saying. Um, so it makes sense from that point of view to have sort of feeder clubs that they can sort of cherry yeah. pick players off or send other players to. And it, what what strikes me about because it's it's called when you see CFG or, or or City Football Group, that's what you're talking about. They it's not under the umbrella of Manchester City. Manchester City are part <laughs> and are sort of the 
the the poster boy of City Football Group now, and it's become that it's become an organisation. I think Giles Tremlett in the Guardian wrote a a, a brilliant piece on it, t- talking about the the ins and outs and the nuances of it all. And he was saying that it's sort of becoming the Coca Cola of of the football world, or or a Google or a Facebook. And the man behind it all sort of tried to install this at Barcelona himself, um, but again because that was owned by owned by the fans in in Catalonia, they they were very sort of skeptical about a global Barcelona because the the fact that they are Catalonian is is part of the the pull of it and why they love the club. So at Man City, he's definitely had the chance to do that um, because of the owners and their outlook, because of their ambition for the football club as a as a product, as an entertainment product rather than just a football club, which shouldn't be shunned at as well because it's obviously brought them success. Um, but there's there's so much research behind it as well. I think one of the clubs as well that we haven't mentioned yet is. Is, I think fairly recently acquired was one in Uruguay called Atletico Torque, and they're not. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. All their shirts. <laughs> <laughs> like I sort of say, they're not. They're not even one of the well-known ones in Uruguay. But Man City, because of the per capita production of um, a certain level of footballer from Uruguay, it's tiny. But you get the likes of Suarez um, and Cavani being produced from there. They've identified that as a as a as a breeding place of of good footballers. So they install themselves there in the City Football Group. They instill an academy that will teach those players and, and train those players in the same way that you do get at Manchester City with the hope that when the next Luis Suarez appears, Manchester City now have that direct link to either get them themselves or, as Oli said, move it into uh, La Liga, uh, put it over in MLS, uh, which is, they've already got a player there at the moment who's very highly rated called um, Yangel Herrera. He's a Venezuelan. Very good centre midfielder. Was really good in the under-20 World Cup. Um, and he's just... No one even knows he plays for Man City yet. I always... He played for New York City with Patrick Vieira and you forget, but he is actually Man City's player. There's so many players like that now that because of these links and the ease of fluidity in that network itself, you've, they're, owned, they're City football group players now. Yeah. And, that, and that is, as Ollie said, that could become a trend, but... They're definitely trailblazing in terms of installing it to a level of success. When we get in Reykjavik City, they've got a good per capita, <laughs> haven't they? It's like 300,000 of them and they're in the World Cup. Yeah, exactly. Could get be. some young Icelandic ledge. <laughs> you send, send them through the European teams. Stick set, them out in Uruguay for a bit. Set piece it's also, experts. I mean, it's, quite, it's a really clever idea because City don't have that global reach that Man United do or Real Madrid do. Because they've only really been relevant for the past 10 years. I mean, no offence to City fans. but I don't, I don't think they'll take it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, this is a way of, of getting fans in North America and Australia by, you know, by buying clubs that have some sort of affiliate link to, to Manchester City. So that's another part of it. Um, so obviously it's great for City. I think they've got over 240 players, I think it said in that article, mm. contracted at these various clubs. And obviously the best ones they can, you know, they will end up at Man City or they'll be sold. Like Aaron Moy was yeah, at was Melbourne it. and has ended up at Huddersfield. He's doing very well. I was going to say they, they, it was, didn't they? They bought Melbourne at that time for yeah. six million or whatever it was, a reported fee that was less for what they actually sold him to Huddersfield for. Yeah. So again, in terms of just a, if you just look at it from a pure so, business so for a player is never bigger than the club. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, I mean, yeah, obviously it's great for City, but I think the one thing that. You know, we can maybe be slightly wary of is the fact that if other clubs do take this example, suddenly we're in a situation where every club has six other clubs linked to it, and then you know the sort of the integrity of the sport I think 
starts to be questioned a little bit. There was that thing uh, in the Champions League where RB Leipzig and RB Salzburg both qualified for the um, Champions League qualifying stages at the start of the season. And UEFA had to be like, oh, actually, we'll we'll loosen our really strict rules that two clubs in the same competition can't have the same ownership. Um, so obviously they don't, they obviously don't take it too seriously. But we could get a situation where, you know, like City, there's United have six clubs, Chelsea have six clubs. Mm. Premier, um, Premier League just becomes a big six because yeah. everyone's, <laughs> everyone's suddenly, an affiliate. Yeah. Suddenly, mm. the, yeah, exactly. Premier League's gone properly global, I think, in that stage. All right, then let's move on. And like a Man City fan trying to work out who their new Uruguayan starlet is, it's who's this fella? Who's this fella? Okay. I think I might have heard of this bloke a little bit. Uh, oh my God. I've heard of him a little bit. Leon Bailey, who I believe is now at Leverkusen. Yes. And came from a Belgium team. Genk. And was linked with an English. I think Chelsea maybe had a look at him. Chelsea are the ones now that I think looking at him. It's Man United yeah, linked Man to City, all of them. Yeah. Because yeah. I saw him linked with loads of people. Uh, in the summer, I guess it was. But what, what's his deal? Is he because he's a Jamaican international, right? Well, and he's nineteen. Well, he's Jamaican, but this is this. He's a really interesting player, um, not because of his sort of right, his quick rise in Europe, but yeah, he is Jamaican and Jamaican-born. But um, again, it's all reports. It's hard to get a lot of information about Jamaican Federation football, anyway. But there's reports at the moment that he's represented them once for the under-23s, but he's sort of unwilling to commit until they improve their sort of standard and of the actual national team. So what's his other choice? Because he, he Germany, could... No, Belgium. Uh, Belgium. Yeah, yeah, he could represent Belgium, who obviously would be a very attractive prospect at the moment. But again, that's all that's all reported. He, he doesn't have a Jamaican cap. And you think that a 20 million euro player playing in Europe would be a shoo-in to start for Jamaica, mm. regardless of... Uh, if he wanted to so you think there's something going on behind the scenes there but I think that just sort of highlights how carefully this kid has been managed if you look at his career so far it started out with um, some Austrian team FC Liefering I think who are linked to RB Salzburg who went from there to AS Trancin Trancin yeah. conspiracy theories all over the place <laughs> lizards underneath sell out right so he, went, he went to this uh, Slovakian side next who are linked to Ajax so each each club he's been to you know, he's he's sort of been connected to to something bigger. He then went to Genk, who have developed Courtois and De Bruyne through their academy, and then and they've had Koulibaly and Milinkovic, Savic and, and Didi and Christian past Benteke. few years. Yeah, and Benteke. <laughs> so he's gone to another club which has a track record for nurturing talent and developing talent, and he's gone to Leverkusen, which do the same. They're one of Germany's sort of um, you know best nurturers of, of youth mm-hmm. talent as well. So it's every step on the on the on the ladder he's taken. Um, and I think that, you know this whole international sort of thing sort of brings it into focus as well. How carefully he's sort of being managed. It's quite interesting to sort of break up his career steps so far and, and see see where it's going. Obviously, the the end goal is to end up at a Chelsea or United. Yeah. But so I thought he was a winger, but I've got written here in front of me on a mysterious <laughs> piece of paper that he's a left back or a left wing back. So, so he is. He he would tell you he's a winger, and I think that is where he's possessed best position is he's he's lightning quick um, his output for Genk was was impressive he won Belgian Young Player of the Year when he was playing for them um, was really good in the group stages of the Europa League last season because he actually moved to Le- Leverkusen in January that might have been where I saw him 
that might be why I've there heard of him. <laughs> so he was good in the Europa League and then in January, from January to July, he didn't play for Leverkusen. I think he made one mm. appearance and, and it was so bizarre because I'd been, I'd been following him as well and I thought, this guy looks too good. And then all of a sudden, yep, he moves to Europe, as you'd expect, as always happens. But didn't play, so you thought, oh, maybe something's happened here. And then all of a sudden, this season, he's, he's burst onto the scene, sort of, but in a delayed way. Um, he's playing left wing back in a 3-4-3, but as Leverkusen have a really young um, sort of attacking trio anyway, they've got Julian Brandt, who is a winger, uh, yeah, plays he's the for one Germany. With both feet, isn't he? Mm, yeah, he's very good. Blonde-haired, like classic Germany player. He looks <laughs> looks like the poster boy of their thing. And then they've actually got a younger player called Kai Havertz, who plays in, the, in the left. Who he played again, against us last. Yeah, year. again, he's really good. Um, but sort of, he's been compared to <clears throat> Mesut Özil and because of his languid style and his creativeness. So that means that Leon Bailey can't play in that narrow two. So they've moved into this wide position where he excels because of his pace and his how direct he is. He's rapid. Um, yeah. He's absolutely rapid. We were talking about Mbappe and Sane earlier. Um, in terms of seeing a race between those three, that would be really interesting because <laughs> they use Bailey as this wide outlet on the counter-attack and he's got six goals and four assists across all competitions this season. He's directly involved in a goal every 92 minutes and, and the fact he's now playing this left wing back role is why the likes of Chelsea are being linked to him again because beyond Marcus Alonso who did Chelsea have playing left wing back Conte puts Pedro there but then that's a completely different dimension you're adding to your team Yeah, Leon Bailey's this left footed much quicker than Marcus Alonso but physical a physical presence in the terms that he has speed Marcus Alonso has height and and, and technical ability Um so yeah, he's he's playing left wing back, but he would see himself as a winger. And if he played in a four three three, he would be a left or right winger rather than the left back in that. But this Bayer Leverkusen formation in this young team that he's playing in, he's as I said, he's burst onto the scene in a delayed manner. But he's one of their best players this season, and six goals and four assists. He's in the top three of under twenty three contributors in the Bundesliga for both of those metrics. So if he's playing in the Leverkusen team. Do we reckon he gets his move to a sort of Man United or a Chelsea or a Real Madrid or does he just look really good in the Bundesliga and end up at Bayern? He probably like if you look at players that Leverkusen have had recently and you know where they've gone. Well, even the last twenty years with Balak and Zay Roberto and Lucio, they've always gone on to the next club has been Bayern. a Bayern Munich <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or, or someone like that. So I think it is, but I mean he's still twenty. I think yeah. I I doubt he'd go this soon. In, yeah, in in January or, or in the summer I think he'll still be at Leverkusen for maybe 18 months but if he's got if he's had about nine moves already he must have a bit of a <laughs> yeah, sort of I think, twitchy agent hasn't he yeah, so is it, yeah but I mean that's what I'm saying I think they're, they're trying to get him to become this global superstar yeah. and they're sort of taking it very step by step Measured. and <laughs> global global superstar just loads of people like me be like I think I've heard of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well I think because like already again with, with the work permit situation becoming that will when Brexit gets fully done or whatever when they decide when they yeah when they decide what to do with it work permits become harder to get or or not to get at all so by already moving to Leverkusen for 20 million euros he can now he would be able to move to England now because he Mm. you usually need to represent your national team which where his special dispensation but he spent five years in Europe and and because he's been a fee has been paid for him they don't need to look at his international caps. So not only does that find a loophole for him moving to England, <clears throat> it again finds a loophole of him not having to represent or commit to Jamaica, which again, he it's a purely, from pure footballing perspective, he, he's 
he's come out and said like I'm Jamaican I love Jamaica but in terms of in a football career what can I achieve with them perhaps quite we'll like, play with Wes Morgan yeah yeah that's well, achievement it's, in itself. It's honest, Bailey isn't it? and Morgan, the reggae boys. Yeah. <laughs> in in all honesty, Jamaica, no matter how good, if they if you put Messi in in Jamaica's team, they're not not really going to qualify for much anyway. So but I just think then uh, international think football, <laughs> international football is just becoming club football. Then isn't it? If if suddenly players are like, you know what, my country is terrible at football, so I'm not going to bother. I'm just going to play for them instead. It's like suddenly then it's just a bit like. But the, he, everything's merging into one but he's doing a carrot in the stick he's saying well, if you want me to play for you then make Get sure better. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah and which which Jamaica the the federate as i said it's hard to even find stuff about them so they're obviously not it's not their it's not their main sport at all but if he wants to play be a footballer and be recognized and he's got these sort of lofty ambitions on a personal level he wants the platform internationally to do that and if Jamaica are refusing to uh, train coaches and, and implement more people abroad um, and and help their players find that level to perform on then again I know as you said he's he's got a right to he's got a right to change I think and, and because of what we said he left Jamaica when he was really young when he was 15 mm. years that's why he had to go to so many different clubs because he was a minor yeah. so it's not like he's just pick and choosing a nation He's he's gone through it and he's found a home he found a home in Genk and did well, so Belgium would be a, a good choice. And I don't think we should sort of really punish him for that. Really, mm. he's not. He's going to get punished by Brexit, though. <laughs> Leon Brexit, no, no Chelsea. All right, enough of Leon Brexit. Let's move on to the big one: the stats showdown. Stats showdown. All right, the tension is palpable. You could cut it with a knife. Young Ollie, young Ollie, young. Young, young, young. Ollie, Ollie. This is the best two out of three competition in which ultimately you probably end up breaking Jake's heart. Impress me with some impress me stats. It happens all too often. <laughs> Jake's already frustrated, angry, hardly over talking about Kylian Mbappe. So I'm going to give him. I'm going to give him the first stat this Ooh. week. Okay, right to take my mind off it. As it's the season of, of giving, I've, I've gone for an assist one first. Oh, um, it's like Mesut Ozil. <laughs> it's not about Mesut Ozil. Kevin De Bruyne, Sane and David Silva are all on eight assists uh, as of time of recording. They could easily add to that. Um, uh, and they could reach 10 plus basically over the season. They're all close to doing it. Just and in I, the Newcastle game. Yeah, probably. And I just thought three players, 10 plus assists for one team in a season. How often does that happen? Tell me and how the often does it is, happen? The answer is not very often. The last time it happened was 2004-05 and it was Arsenal with Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp and Reyes. Reyes? With 10 plus. And then the only time before that was Liverpool in 1995-96 with McManaman, Collymore and Barnes. Reyes is in there. I'm stunned by Reyes. Right, okay. Ollie, you have to compete with stunning Reyes. <laughs> okay, I've got a Man United one. So Jesse Lingard's brace against Burnley meant that he became the first Man United substitute to score a Premier League double since Chris Smalling oh. did so also against Burnley in 2015. Oh, Ollie, that's a good one. Oh, Jake. Jake's gone out there and he's he's done the deep dive. <laughs> that took four hours to research. <laughs> that, he's gone for a deep dive and... 
How many small in records are there? Goal scoring ones. Oh, finally goes one nil up. <laughs> Reyes. Remember the jeans. Ollie, double down on this situation. Double down on him. Right, I'm going for a Harry Kane one. Another record I saw yesterday. So since Shane Long scored his last goal, Harry Kane has scored 50. I've seen that one. Oh. I've seen that one. Should be getting. I have used ones. Twitter, mate. <laughs> Go on, Jake. All right. I think there's a, a huge opening for you here. I found this one. It's a good. It's a good one, but I've seen it, so I'm not impressed. It's a bit harsh on Shane Long as well. I found this one interesting. Um, only three teams in Europe's top five leagues this season have had more shots from inside the six-yard box than West Brom. Okay. They're the getting in are. areas. The teams are Barcelona, Man United, and Marseille. West Brom have had as many shots from inside the six-yard box as Liverpool and Man City this season. Hmm. They're getting in the areas. All right, yeah. I'm happy with that one. I think that's quite a good uh, quite a good one because West Brom are rubbish. Yeah. And they're, actually, they're level with Man City. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, he's evened it up. Right. Jake, come on. I believe in you. Are you I'll, go, I'll go to Arsenal for this. Oh, again? Um... Again. Oh, on your head bit. Reyes one minute, <laughs> right. Arsenal the next. If Alexandra Lacazette only needs to score one more goal to equal Alex Oxlade Chamberlain's Premier League tally for the club, and he would have done so in 112 fewer appearances. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's quite good. That's quite it explains why Alex Oxlade Chamberlain keeps getting mugged off by the Liverpool media team. We've seen they keep introducing him to kids who to don't kid. know who he is. <laughs> they don't know who he is because he scored like I I'm I actually quite like Oxlade Chamberlain, but nine goals is dreadful, and Lacazette has almost got it. As I said, 112 fewer games. Ugh, go away, Oxlade Chamberlain. <laughs> right, right. Mine is based on Spanish players. Oh, we all like Don Spanish day. players. So no team in Europe's big five divisions has seen more league goals scored via Spanish players this season than Chelsea, who have 20, which is level with Real Sociedad. I've seen it already. Oh. <laughs> you Ollie, are you, too much. You <laughs> plagiarising, coming into a stat showdown. No. Jake, you've won. Yes. You've won this easily, and it's a win for honesty. Plagiarism. Yeah, well, pathetic. That is two excellent stats. That is, they are. But if you take a stat that's had forty thousand retweets, <laughs> and the chance that it might come across me every now and again. Oh, this is I'm what ashamed media is, of you. Rob. It's all plagiarism. Oh, Someone's no, plagiarising no. us three right now, probably somewhere. What in a in a football <laughs> podcast where three blokes talk about football yeah, for an exactly. hour? Exactly, goes on everywhere. We invented it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jake, if people want to find you and your original statistics, original well research, original. Uh, <laughs> I can't say it. Original statistics. Where can they find? They can you? find me on Twitter, which is at Jake Entwistle, and as we all know. No, no H. It's literally never had an H. Never, not even once. And Ollie, I thought it did. Where can people find you if they want to find plagiarism? <laughs> uh, o miles ninety. And if you want to find me, I am at Rob Armstrong underscore WH. And of course, you can find Defending in Numbers on Deezer, where you can also find all your podcasts, live Premier League commentary, and football playlists. Download the app or go to Deezer. Com, and we will see you next week when it will be 2018. Who knows what <gasps> records Marco Arnautovic is going to set next year. <laughs> we'll see you next week on Defending in Numbers. Defending in Numbers is a Deezer Originals production. You can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers. Listener.